Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. We watched a bowl game together. It was already Tigers lost. <laughs> lost to Wake Forest. And BK, I'm struggling to find anything to care about this game. How are you doing? I'm fine. It it wasn't a fun game to watch. And I think that's the most frustrating part is like, I thought coming in, I, I didn't know what to expect in this game in terms of like Mizzou winning or losing. I thought it was pretty close on both sides. But what I did feel pretty confident in is, hey, this is going to be a fun game because styles make fights and the style of this fight looked super compelling. I mean, Wake Forest is a very good offense and their defense is atrocious. Missouri, at least when they're fully healthy and have all of their guys, is a very good defense and an offense that struggles to score at times, but had figured some things out later in the season. So it it made sense that, hey, maybe this could be like a 34-31. Like, it's a game that could be played well into the 30s. We didn't see any of that, man. Missouri, whether it was the opt-outs, the injuries that took place during the game, they never looked good at all. Wake Forest, I don't think, played their best game either. And no. it just, it looked like two teams that kind of sleepwalked through the game and that mm-hmm. were just in Tampa to have fun and hey more power to them like yeah cool you got to go to Tampa and have a good trip together but um it just it wasn't a particularly compelling football game no it wasn't Wake had a couple transfers um that weren't part of the team now none of them were major starters you had a couple role players um didn't really have any injuries Missouri as was covered on the on the broadcast was down Isaiah McGuire DJ Colvin Martez Manuel, Jelani Williams, you know, again, rotational player, uh, Devin Nicholson, rotational player. And then, of course, Dominic Lovett, Missouri's best offensive player, one of the best offensive players in the SEC. So you're already starting off with, you know, your hand tied behind your back for a unit that struggles. Then you get into the game. Let's 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 just review this real quick. Number one, your starting guard, Connor Wood, goes down with an a ankle leg injury of some sort. Couple plays later, your starting center Connor Tolleson goes down with an ankle injury. On that same play, one of your starting receivers, Toski Dove, goes down with a knee injury. And Luther Burden gets uh, does something crazy and gets concussed, possibly certainly hit very hard. He's out for basically the second half. I mean, what are you gonna do? <laughs> this is not Missouri's offense. These aren't the starters that Missouri play with. And when they had the starters, they weren't all that great. So yeah, one of the worst defenses in the country looked fairly competent for most of the game because they're going up against backups. And yeah, I mean, three, three wide receivers, two offensive linemen that are start like legit starters. And then three defensive ends. Those are cluster injuries. And we didn't talk about this a lot during the season because Missouri didn't have to deal with a whole lot of cluster injuries throughout the year. But when you have something where like one positional unit gets wiped out, especially like a unit where, hey, your pass rush is part of what makes this team work. Mm -hmm. Okay, what if we pulled out your three best pass rushers? What would that look like? And we saw tonight, at least in the first quarter, oh, it's a disaster. And so what did they decide to do? And credit to Blake Baker for this. He adjusted. Mm -hmm. He saw, okay, we're not going to be able to get any sort of pressure by just going with our four-man rush or waiting till third down to really, like, fire up our blitz packages. We need to blitz on first down and second down and third down, and if they're going for it on fourth down, all of that. 
And that's what they decided to do. And it burned them at times, but they were willing to live with that because they could also put some pressure on Hartman. And in the end, it it more or less worked. Unfortunately, there were no real audibles or adjustments on the offensive side of the ball. They got a few things going. There were a couple of drives where the outside zone worked for them and they were able to beat uh, Wake Forest to the edge. And uh, there was a period of time where the running game worked as well for Brady Cook. His legs were working for him. But otherwise, like, it just wasn't a whole lot that worked for them in the air. They had nothing no. explosive, zero completions of 15 or more yards through the year. Their longest non-Brady Cook scramble on the day was 16 yards. Just did nothing offensively. Yeah. And I said in the preview, you know, Missouri is overly reliant on explosive plays. That's how they move the ball down the field. Wake Forest defense was willing to give up explosive plays. That's kind of their big thing. That was one of their big weaknesses. They did not have the players to take advantage of that. And whether that was because the offensive line was jumbled up or that's because the receivers were not a threat, you just, you you didn't have it available. And so you had a perceived advantage that Missouri had coming into the game, get taken out with injuries. And guess what? That's just football. Like you said, you have to learn to adapt. Blake Baker adapted. Eli Drinkwitz, three years here, does not seem to be able to adapt very well, just in general. And whether that's, you know, finding a quarterback or running, calling plays like he just he does not have a lot of tools in the toolkit. And when you figure out what those are, he becomes rather predictable. And, you know, you said you kind of blame Drinkwitz for this. I, I agree. He did not seem like he was able to either adjust to the hand dealt to him during the game or adjust to the fact that going in, they knew they were going to be without their best player. And I don't know how much of that was, you know, in which direction I'm, I'm, you know, assigning percentages. But at the end of the day, it was just a very uninspiring game called by Eli Drinkwitz, which was kind of the problem at the first half of the of the season this year. I just don't even know. So here's what I'm struggling with, Nate. Like, I think there are going to be people that make this a referendum on something. Eli Drinkwitz, Brady Cook, the offense, the deep, whatever, right? I just can't do it off of this game. Like, whatever you felt about Missouri football going into the bowl game, isn't that kind of what you should feel today? Yeah, the bowl game didn't change my mind. It was just a referendum on what we've already seen. Yeah, and I'm totally with you. Like, if we want to have a conversation about, like, the the trajectory of the program, the trajectory of the offense, what needs to be fixed, all that, like, I'm more than happy to do that. And I think we're both on pretty much the same page as to what exactly is wrong and, like, what the hopeful plans are that are in place to get there, but... I think for a lot of people, they watched this and like it pushed them even further in that direction one way or the other. And I I just I didn't feel that way watching it. I watched it and I was like, okay, this is a football game that happens to be on right now. And I'm going to go ahead and watch that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of all it really was. I, 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 like I've said before, I don't put a lot of stock in bowl games, especially nowadays with opt outs. and, And of course, with the roster situation headed in. And that affects every team out there, but no, this is, you only have 12 to 13 data points on your favorite team every year. So you need to overreact to each one appropriately, but no, this was, this was a very Missouri 2022 game just in general. So, um, you know, feel your feelings, get upset about a loss, whatever, but this, this isn't the game to, to, to be the last you know, the last will and testament of your opinion of Missouri football. 
It's just more of a season trend sort of thing. So you want to blame Brady? Blame Brady. If you want to blame Eli for not putting out Sam Horn or Tommy Locke, like knock yourself out, man. I like new and exciting things too, but you get the same result. What's the difference? I just, I don't know. I, I am struggling to, to care too much about this loss. And that's not a, that's not a commentary on my interest in Missouri football or whether I like to see my team win or lose. It's just, ugh. it was the Gasparilla bowl against Wake Forest. <laughs> like it was one more chance to see this team in 2022. And we saw it and it was kind of what we've seen all year. The end move on. So before we, I, I do want to talk a little big picture with you. Was there anybody that got an opportunity today that you left thinking like better or worse of them because they got that opportunity? Cause like, for example, a few guys, Demarion Peanut Houston saw his first extended action. Chad Bailey. Um, Johnny Johnny Walker Jr., uh, Arden Walker, Dalen Carnell played more than he has previously. Uh, did any of those guys or anybody else that got extended action really change your opinion of what you expected? Mm, not really. I liked what Armand Mimbu did, but I've liked what he's been doing all, all year. Uh, I like Chad Bailey's performance. It was probably the best defender on the field uh, this game. But, mm -hmm. you know, he I liked it because I knew he was coming back. And, you know, we had seen him as more of a volume tackler kind of role. It was really cool to see him as a blitzing linebacker role, being that pass rush that was mostly non-existent. So, no, all the guys you talked about, it was very good because they're all coming back as far as we know. Uh, so yeah, I, there were, there were some bright spots there. Um, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a young football team on the offensive side anyway. And then you lost a bunch of starters. So yeah. it's, they, they, the youth had to step up and against a team that is as disciplined and, you know, very, it's a good talented team, uh, but very disciplined and very operates within what they can do. Youth is going to get overwhelmed. So I liked what I saw. And if, if peanut Houston can, you know, catch a touchdown per game next year, that's great. I think that's great. <laughs> um, but Dalen Carnell, if you want to make some routine plays as, as, as well as your thunderous, awesome plays, that would be great too. So yeah, there's, there's things to like, and that's what you're going to be building towards next year. And I don't know if you still feel like 23 is going to be the breakout season after what we saw this year, but Everything about the offense this year was about building towards something. So yeah, there were definitely some things to take away that were that were positives on the youth side. I felt that way too. Um, Bailey was definitely the most impressive of the bunch out of the guys that are like, hey, they're going to be back next year. This gave me more optimism than I had prior to this game, mostly because he was used kind of in the role that we had seen Tyron Hopper playing for much of the season of, hey, mm -hmm. just run towards the quarterback, run mm -hmm. towards the ball carrier and catch them as you're going. Uh, and he was very good doing that. Johnny Walker Jr., your guy, had a few good plays in the first half. I didn't mm -hmm. really notice him as much in the second half. Uh, Dalen Carnell blew a couple of coverages, and it made you wonder, like, hey, maybe this is why he was playing behind Martez Manuel, despite the fact that it felt like to us, every time he was on the field, he was making a play. He is kind of like the personification of Missouri's defense, where it's like, if he's good, it's creating havoc. If he's not it might be a touchdown going the other direction. <laughs> yeah. And you can live with that, especially in this defense, because you just, you need guys that can create plays and he can do that for you. But those are probably the biggest guys that stood out to me in this one. The other kind of like big moment in this game. And I think this is kind of indicative of what the game was, was the like random, not even a fight, but like 
pushing, shoving yeah, between Bailey and Rakestraw. That was really weird. I want to I want to premise this or put this out in the front end because I know there's going to be people that get mad at anything that we say trying to make too much of it. I'm not making more of it than it is. It's not a big deal. I would imagine that by the end of the game, everything was settled and it's just over, right? Squashed. Late in the first half, if you didn't see it, there was a roughing the passer call on Robinson. Rakestraw goes over to help up Sam Hartman. And it looked like Chad Bailey was mad that he was trying to help up the opposing quarterback. And he got in his face and words were said. And then they kind of pushed each other and the teammates came in and broke it up and it was over. And then apparently, according to reporting that was done from Tampa, while they were going into the tunnel, they once again kind of were at each other's, at each other's throats with their teammates, again, having to separate them. Second half, nothing happened of it. And after the game, Eli Drinkwood said, yeah, they're just competitors. They got after it. What'd you make of this, Nate? Well, <clears throat> when you have an organization full of 120 people, there's a good chance you're not going to like everybody at every second of, of your moment together. And these sorts of things happen. I, I don't see this as some kind of underlying issue. I don't see this as some referendum on Eli Drinkwitz's ability to manage his team. I think it was too like, I, I hate to rely on the cliche, but I do think it was just two competitive dudes who had a disagreement about something and they were having it out in public. And that's not a great look, mind you, but sometimes that stuff happens. Are you, what, what, what was your takeaway from it? I thought it was weird. Like, again, I'm not making more of this than needs to be made. It's not a referendum on anything. I'm not saying that Eli Drinkwitz has lost control. It didn't seem that big of a deal. Like, Rakestraw put down his hand to pick up the opposing quarterback. And I've seen a lot of people saying like, yeah, that's the attitude that the defense should have. I mean, is it like, yeah, I don't know. Your, your teammate can't help the quarterback up. Like it's just, it was just such a silly argument. Yeah. And the reason why I, I do wonder like what's up there is because I don't here, here comes the tinfoil. I don't believe that's it. Like, I just refuse to believe that Chad Bailey lost his mind because Ennis Rakestraw put his hand down to help up the opposing quarterback. It's got to be more than that, right? Like, yeah. especially if they were getting into it again after they were going back into the tunnel. It just, it was super weird. And there's just a lot around like this offseason and stuff like I think it's really cool that Chad Bailey has said publicly, hey, I wanted to come back because I've still got more to prove here at Mizzou. And I do wonder, and this is me projecting, this is not based on reporting, it is pure speculation, it is me projecting. I do wonder if some of the guys in that locker room are looking around saying like, man, you guys want to test the waters for all of this NIL stuff, like kind of bleep or get off the pot. Like, are you yeah. a part of this or not? You know? And for the last like three weeks, a lot of the conversation around Mizzou football has been basically... Hey, what's up with the corners and are they coming back? And even for the corners, they've basically been doing all this stuff on social media where it's like, hey, we're going to try to get as much attention as we possibly can. Yeah. And that's very different than who Chad Bailey is. And so I, again, all of this is projection. I do wonder if some of that all kind of came out in that moment of like Bailey was just done with it. 
He's done with all of it. I would agree. It's not about Ennis Rakestraw helping the quarterback up. It can't, it can't be that, but yeah, we can speculate. I have no idea. <laughs> I think what you are saying, and we never will. We'll, we'll yeah. never, we'll never have any idea what actually happened no. there. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense, but yeah, we, there's no way we can, we can confirm that, you know, unless we go a couple years down the road and, you know, the equivalent of an Eric Beisel goes on Twitter and talks, airs out all the dirty laundry. <laughs> like we're never going to know. So whatever it's, it, it didn't look great. And then the smash cut to Eli scratching his head was actually very comically, very, very funny. Um, because that was my response too. Yeah, perfect <laughs> like, timing. Perfect timing what's on the production here? team. They weren't great uh, tonight, but that was a solid eight seconds of of film that they got there. Um, so yeah, but other than that, I just I I can't afford to waste any brain cells on it, so I'm really not going to. However, there is going to be something in the back of my mind like, uh, I hope they work it out because uh, I mean, you know, they're young, they're they're very amped up and playing, and you know, emotions are going to flare like that, but. I hope it's okay, but I do think there's some truth to what you're saying because that, that does make a lot of sense. Should we look big picture now that the season? Thank God, over? yes. We got 17 minutes of Mizzou versus Wake Forest talk, and I think like 12 of it was really like Mizzou Wake committed. Um, where do you want to start? Where do you want to start with this? So big picture wise, let's let's talk about records versus improvement. Okay, this is your second consecutive six and seven year. Eli Drinkwitz has gone five and five, six and seven, six and seven. Missouri has not won a bowl game since 2014. I mean, I was not married. I did not have kids at that time. That's how long it's been. I had not graduated. You had not graduated college. Yeah. So like it's been a while again, bowl games don't mean much. And you know me, I, I love my, when my team wins and I do not like it when my team loses, but when I think big picture, I think less about that. I think more about the overall improvement. <sighs> to put it a different way, Mizzou hasn't been ranked top 20 in the country in the last eight years since 2014. Yeah. So, well, they were ranked in 2018. Yeah, just not top 20. Not They've top, been in yeah. the top 25. Yeah. They were 22nd, 24th, and 21st at, at some point in 2015, 18, and 19. Yeah, there you go. Never in the top 20. So... Eli Drinkwitz's mission was to take what Barry Odom started with the hard reset in 2015 and continue the improvement. That That's the charter, right? That's what every college football coach should be shooting to do. Okay, cool. I know that it doesn't feel it. And I know at times it doesn't look it. But Missouri is a better team, better team this year than it was last year. And last year's team was better than the 2020 team. Now, for me, 2020, throw it away. That was a weird year. I really don't hold anything that happened against anybody in that situation. But to me, I am seeing improvement in this team. Now, the offense has a lot to work on. The defense needs to hold. But, like, go back to last year. We, th- we thought the offense was going to be okay, and the defense was just this gaping crater that was going to need years to fix. It was fixed in a year. These things can happen, especially in the transfer portal. I think 
regardless of the, what do you want to call it? The, the optics of how this team operates. It does feel like Eli Drinkwitz inherits just like prime rib and turns it into hamburger, but he has improved recruiting. The team is getting better. The wins and losses aren't there mostly from a one score possession standpoint, but like they're getting blown out less. They're competitive more against better teams. I think this team is on the right track and I know it doesn't always feel it and it doesn't always look like it, but the quality of the team is improving. You fix the defense. If the offense can get a couple of key transfers on the line, maybe a receiver, maybe a quarterback, I don't know, but if they can, improve on a lackluster effort and the defense holds its gains. This could be a really good team next year. And that's a good thing. You want linear progress. I am not concerned. I don't always like what it looks like, but I think Drinkwitz is on the right path. BK, what do you think? So I I think you're right. I agree with it in general. Um, Just, the notion that Missouri is better today than they were at this point last year. Totally agree. Were they better at this point last year than they were in 2020 at that point? I think the answer is yes. I I do think that at some point though, those like the SP plus stuff has to start translating more into the record. Sure. Does that make sense? Yes. Like you are now over the last three seasons, five and five, six and seven, six and seven. I mean, just compare that to the Barry Odom era. <laughs> yeah. Four and eight, seven and six, eight and five, six and six. And we deemed that to not be good enough. Mm-hmm. Now, a, a massive difference, and this is the m- big elephant that is in the room right now, is that Barry Odom did that with a future second round NFL draft pick at quarterback. Eli Drinkwitz doesn't have his quarterback yet. And I say that as somebody that is higher on Brady Cook than like 94% of Mizzou fans probably. But he he does not have a Drew Locke. So the 8-5 and five Drew Locke season with Barry Odom, what would that year have looked like if it was with this Eli Drinkwitz team around that quarterback? Mm-hmm. That's the question that remains. And we just, we don't have the answer yet because we haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, why haven't we seen it? Is it because Drinkwitz can't develop a quarterback? Is it because he can't recruit the quarterback? Is it because that quarterback doesn't want to play for Drinkwitz? Whatever it is, like, he has to find the quarterback. Coaches all over the country get fired every single year because it took them too long to be able to get the guy. Mm -hmm. Gary Pinkle's job was saved for a million different reasons in the early 2000s, but mostly because he found a quarterback. He got Brad Smith. The program started turning around. There was reasons for optimism. And then he hit on the jackpot of all jackpots, which was Chase Daniel. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. And once you had that, everybody knew, okay, this guy is going to work here because mm-hmm. he figured it out offensively and he found the quarterback. And from then on, he always had a quarterback ready to go before the other one was gone. Mm-hmm. That's the next step for drink. 
The next step for Eli Drinkwitz is getting a quarterback, developing an offense around them, and then seeing what that looks like. So that's the linear progress you're talking about, all good and well. And I agree with you, it has gotten better. But until he gets a quarterback that people like 100% believe in, none of that really matters on the high end of things. And that is, I think, the most frustrating thing for me is that... I see the improvement. I endorse the improvement. When you make a football hire, though, in my eyes, in Nate Edwards' eyes, that gentleman's got three years to put his stuff together. Mm -hmm. And I know fans don't view it that way. The paying public doesn't view it that way. The board of curators doesn't view it that way. Athletic departments don't view it that way. That's how I view it, though, which is... You mess around and do whatever you got to do. Strip the, the house down to the studs, rebuild the whole thing, whatever you want to do. But if you're going to take losses, take losses in the schemes that you want to run with the players that you want to play with and develop those guys in those three years. Because when it gets to year four, which my University of Missouri math tells me is next year, that's when Nate Edwards starts caring about wins and losses. Like not just the SP plus improvement, but like, are you actually winning games on the field? And in 2020, again, the year that I typically throw away, I saw a lot of, Hey, this dude can scrap. He can turn tight games into wins when Barry Odom could not do that. I like this. I can see a vision. I don't think those are the players that he wants, but I like it. And then we've just been spinning our wheels with kind of non-adaptive tactics and players that I really don't think he wants to utilize long-term, but he is anyway. So I don't know what the answer is, but for me now, I personally really care about what happens next year in the win-loss column. And if he puts out another six and seven, I don't know. I'm not going to say he's going to lose me, but I'm going to, I'm starting to have concerns if that's going to be the case next year. What do you think? I'm with you, but like, what if we run it back at quarterback, you know? Um, because like if they go six and seven next year with Brady cook at quarterback, but then at the end of the season, they bring in whatever next year's version of Sam Hartman is like, would I then be back on board if it looks kind of similar to this year where they're losing close and they've got real reasons for optimism and the defense takes yet another step forward and like you can see the offensive line starting to come together and Luther Burden has even more moments and he looks like a legit number one. Like if all of that happens and then they bring in the quarterback, would I probably convince myself, hey, maybe there's something here? Yeah, probably because that's who I am. And I just am constantly waiting and prepared for the next kick to the groin by the Missouri Tigers. Yeah. Um, because that's what we signed up for as Mizzou fans. Mm -hmm. But what I understand your perspective as well, 100%, dude, 100%. So it's just seeing progress in college football teams is really hard on the margins. You can see it when it goes from like, the 2012 Mizzou team to 2013 mm -hmm. was like, holy bleep. This went from being an atrocity the first year in the SEC to being one of the best Mizzou teams I've ever seen in my lifetime. That's easy to see. 
it's way harder when you're going from six and seven to six and seven, but your team improved. Yeah. You know, that that's where it's really hard. And so I, I don't know, man, I, I really do understand all perspectives by Mizzou fans today. And I, I know that's like the, the worst take, but sometimes it's the only take to really have is if you're a Mizzou fan, that's frustrated because we're three years in and you still have no idea if Eli Drinkwitz is the answer. I'm with you. Like, I, I totally get it. I, I think you have every reason to be on that side of things. If you're a Mizzou fan that's three years in and you're like, man, this thing's going to get turned around when this guy gets a quarterback. I get it. I'm not necessarily all the way there with you, but I get it. I think both perspectives are fair. The thing about Missouri is that it is not, it is not beneficial to hire and fire coaches. It is way more beneficial to support the one that you got and have him build out his vision. And that's because Missouri just does not spend as much as the rest of the SEC. You are, by nature, a MacGyver program where you are going to have very obvious limitations and problems, and you need to find a way to work around those. And to bring in somebody new who has to learn those obstacles all over again, you're resetting the clock. You're resetting the expectations. You're going back to four wins or five wins. You have to be so astronomically locked in for sure that the current guy can't do better than unknown rest of the field to, to pull the trigger. And I just, I do not see that yet because I have seen that improvement, not holistically, not all as one, but I have seen that improvement. So Missouri has shown that they are willing to invest. It's not at the level of an Alabama or an Auburn. It never will be, but they are really this athletic department and the people who fund it made a huge statement couple weeks ago when they extended and raised Eli Drinkwitz and then expanded his salary pool and said, here, here it is. We've got you some facilities. We are working on creative ways of getting people to come to the games. We're being creative in our marketing. We're being aggressive in our spending. We've, we are, we are making those investments that we need to make, not at the same level, but the same type of statement. Now, do it. And I know we just did not see that today, but it's next year and the year after that. And the year after that, what is he doing? If we have all of this investment and we're getting the exact same results. Yeah. Cut bait and go, but let's see what he can do with that type of investment. Something Gary Pinkle didn't have something Barry Odom didn't have this full blown investment into the program. What can he do with that? And I think it starts with the offensive court, or sorry, the other assistant coach hire, which I'm assuming is an offensive coordinator. <laughs> it starts with that. It fin- it doesn't finish, but it follows with how you do with the quarterback situation, along with all the other transfers that comes in. These are little statements that are going to be, here is what we're building towards. And that's going to be a huge decider for me, uh, whether I can, I can see long-term success here with Eli Drinkwitz or maybe we've seen the ceiling. So that's where I wanted to get to next. And I'm glad you went there. I think a big part of what is going to determine what comes next for Eli Drinkwitz is what he decides to do at offensive coordinator. And he had this quote after the game today in his press conference, quote, I've got a lot of reflection to do to get this thing moving offensively. He added that he needs to figure out how to fix it and insisted that he will indeed get it fixed. 
he was asked about if this season is a success. Uh, Dave Matter posted this on Twitter, said that it was a long answer by Eli Drinkwitz, but at some point in that answer, he said, quote, those seniors are successful for fighting through some really tough losses, but me as a coach, no, I've got to be better. Said that he needs to produce better results for it to be considered a success. I would agree with all of that. Yeah, yeah. I would also add this. The way that you can get better as a coach is to surround yourself by better coaches as well. And sometimes that means taking a bit of a hit to your ego. Eli Drinkwitz has always been known as an offensive genius. For his entire life, his entire coaching career, he has been the guy that people look at and say, hmm, that guy, that guy is a, a boy wonder. He's the guy that I'm going to make money off of because he's going to get my offense fixed. And at most places that he's gone to in his career, the offense have been very good. But for whatever reason, it's not working right now at Mizzou. It's been okay. I'm not saying that he's a disaster or that he's some kind of failure offensively. No, 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 no. That's not the case at all. But there are ways that he can get better. There are ways that he can evolve as an offensive mind. And a lot of those ways would require him to hire somebody that is outside of his comfort zone. And that is what I'm super curious to see when it comes to his next hire. He has more than enough money, more than enough to go out there and get a really good offensive coordinator. A guy that a lot of Mizzou fans would look at and say, I'm really surprised that guy would come here because of the money that he has available to him right now. He has a, a position to offer that if things work out for that individual, if the offense does get better under them, they could then use that as a springboard into a head coaching job elsewhere. We've seen it at other SEC jobs that are smaller than Missouri's. And oh, by the way, you're doing all of this in the SEC. So that job can be super appealing to a lot of candidates out there. Drinkwitz has two different ways that he could probably go with this hire. He can either go hire somebody that he was friends with at Auburn. We kind of know what that list looks like. And some of those people wouldn't even be bad hires necessarily. They're just kind of uninspired hires. Or he can go find the guy that is the best person for this job, regardless of their background, regardless of what kind of offense they would want to come in and run, and go hire that guy to make this offense the best version of itself. That's what I hope he does. I'm not sure if it's what he's going to do, but that is the next thing that he needs to go out there and do. That is the next thing on the checklist. I agree. I, I, until I see it, I cannot imagine a world where he makes a hire at offensive coordinator and then turns over the book to that guy and says, we're running your stuff. I don't see it. I would love for that to happen. Or, hey, maybe we're melding minds. Maybe we run some of my stuff, your stuff. We change the the verbiage and, you know, we, we run with it. Like, even that I would be happy with. I just, until he shows an ability to adapt, I do not believe he will. Now, taking responsibilities off his plate, you know, scripting opening plays, coming up with you know designs, running the practices, managing the, the position coaches and the players. Yes, like I said in previous shows, there's a lot of very qualified guys who can do that. Calling plays on game day, plenty of qualified guys who can do that. I think all of them would be better than what Eli Drinkwood showed this year. And... That is a slight to him because I think a lot of it is uninspiring. 
So I am not saying that his stuff can't work. I am saying that I do not trust him to call plays going forward. So whatever happens, and that's just me saying that, whatever happens, I hope it is an offensive coordinator. I hope it's an experienced guy. I would love some sizzle, but I mostly just want a guy who's experienced, has got the ability to just be creative, find weaknesses, take advantage of situations, and take this roster and make some some offensive gumbo that's tasty. That's what I'm looking for. And I don't know who that's going to be, BK, but I am on pins and needles and fascinated for what what this could possibly be. Same man, same. I, I think this is this is the hire kind of like for for Barry Odom. He had his big hires to decide like what's the direction that you're gonna go. And a couple of them worked, a couple of them really did not work, and then that ultimately was the decision with uh Derek Dooley that probably got him fired. Um, but you look at his side of the ball, for example. His first hire on that side of the ball was a disaster. And he mm-hmm. turned over the defense to him, and then he kind of took more back, and then he eventually got Ryan Walters, and it, it kind of ended up working. And Ryan Walters is now the head coach at Purdue <laughs> because he's a really good football coach. Mm-hmm. Go get your Ryan Walters. Yeah. Like, go get the guy that is an up-and-coming assistant that when people look around and you look at some of these watch lists over the next couple of years, or if you look back at them the past few years, they're on those lists. They're, they're inspired hires that whether it was at Mizzou or Colorado or wherever they were hired, people around the college football industry would say, hmm, that's one worth watching. Wonder what he does there. Go make one of those hires. Yeah, that would be nice. We have not heard anything. And obviously Eli Drinkwitz even mentioned in the bowl presser that he hasn't really addressed this whole situation yet. So do you believe that? no but i do think he was surprised that bush left he seemed particularly salty about it i don't think he's surprised that i think he was expecting that bush hamden was not going to be his offensive coordinator next year Uh, i also think he was expecting that bush hamden was going to be his quarterbacks coach next year yeah (laughs) that makes sense no it does like i i don't think he was the plan for OC, I do think that he was in the plans for the staff, though. I can tell you, I don't think Bush thought he was in the plans for play calling. That's why he left. Yeah, otherwise he wouldn't be. Otherwise he would still be here. Yeah, because Mizzou is a better job objectively than Boise State. Yeah, even if it is his alma mater, like it's no, he did and not it's think like three times as much money. Yeah, he did not think he was going to have play calling responsibilities. Flat out. Now, whether that's because he was told or that's just what he inferred, I don't know. But he figured it out. And I know Eli wasn't happy to lose him or maybe surprised that he lost him. But no, if you are, if you are a head football coach, you constantly have a list of guys. You're like, I would love to work with that guy. Whether, you know, I have an opening or he gets fired or whatever. You always, always have a list. Just like every athletic department director has a list for head football coaches. Yes, go ahead. So you, you love this stuff. You are more into the assistants than I am familiar with them. Yeah. What, what is the kind of hire, like just a a name that represents something for you? Who who would be the kind of hire that to you would be inspired? Garrett Riley. They hire. Garrett Riley. Do you know who that is? 
Yeah. Um, Lincoln Riley's brother. He is. Well, famously Lincoln Riley's brother. Yes. Um, TCU, right? Correct. And he, now I don't know how much of this was Gary Patterson limiting what TCU had versus what Garrett Riley was able to elevate. But that is a guy who took over a, a, a scuffling offense at TCU. Not a, not a ton of stars, good players, a couple of four stars, but like you, if you've watched TCU, you've seen how effective they can be. And he did that with someone else's stuff. And he came in, he overhauled the system, got them all on the same page. They all learned the book. They all were able to run it effectively. It's a little air raidy. It's not Mike Leach, right? Throw it every single play, but it's up tempo. It is matchup heavy. It is a lot of repetition kind of stuff. So it's not like pushing your quarterback to learn 50,000 pages of audibles and, and plays and stuff. It's, it's very, you know, simplistic, effective tempo. Well, it's kind of like what, what, uh, what a boy Casey Woods is running at SMU. Very similar. Okay. Did you know that he worked for Eli Drinkwitz? Maybe did we talk about this? Did somebody? I don't talk think about so. This? I don't think I remember uh, talking about this. I don't think I was familiar with the connection. What's the connection? He was the running backs coach at Appalachian State in 2019 under Eli. Was Drinkwitz. he really? Huh. And he was set to be named offensive coordinator. Wow. And w- when Drink left, and then he got the job at SMU as their offensive coordinator instead. So huh. there is a connection there. Um, I don't know if he would leave Hold on. for Mizzou. But Hold on. Hold yeah. on. What's Garrett Riley making right now? <laughs> TC is private, right? T- uh, yes. I wonder if his contract terms are, are public. I'm sorry. I know Google searching isn't the best podcasting quality, but come on. Let's see. My guess would be if he's a, a co-OC, what, 750, 800,000, something like that. That would be my guess. I, that I, that I, would be my assumption. Let me, let me put it this way. I do not think he's making $1.4 million. I don't even think he's making $1 million. And I'm not saying he's worth a million dollars, okay? I'm not saying that. But we know how much Missouri has to play with here. And if you take a guy who, I mean, I think he's, is he a Texas native? Yeah, he is Texas Tech guy. Um, <clears throat> so he was born in El Paso, went to Texas Tech. So, okay, you're, you're taking him out of the home state. But would you leave your home state for a $250,000, $300,000 raise, BK? I know, I'd, I'd probably, I'd probably do that. Yeah. Yes, I I most certainly would. And leave the be... Big Twelve, where you know offense can succeed, and to try to prove yourself in the SEC. I don't know. I, these guys are competitive dudes. Maybe. I that to answer your question shortly, even though I answered it longly, Garrett Riley would be that statement, where it's to me Eli Drinkwitz would be saying, "I am committed." to making a hire that's going to challenge what we currently do. 
and try to make the most out of the parts that we currently have. And it's a fresh start, fresh start completely. Yeah, go ahead. Looking back and I'm just asking this, I, I, I want to explore this with you. Is it a bit of a concern that Eli Drinkwitz didn't bring Garrett Riley with him to you? Like he got the job as the OC at SMU. Eli Drinkwitz, I would assume, could have brought him to Missouri with him if he wanted to after their tenure at App State. He could have probably paid him more at Mizzou than what he was making at SMU. Is it weird or surprising or interesting to you at all that he he probably knew Garrett Riley was a good offensive mind and he decided not to bring him to Mizzou? Yeah, but he didn't bring any offensive guys with him. From I know, from <laughs> and he had a good one. <laughs> he had Garrett Riley and let him go to SMU instead of bringing him to Mizzou. I'm, I'm guessing the reason why, because he you remember, he came into Mizzou and he was like, this is my offense. This is my play calling duties. Yes. I have always done it and I am not letting go of that. So that, that would be my guess. Like if you're if you're Garrett Riley and you have the opportunity at two schools, Appalachian State and SMU to go in and be the OC, be the play caller, really rise in terms of your prominence and star power and be able to call your own book. I get why you would take that over coming to Mizzou. And so maybe it was just a timing issue, but it is interesting to me that he had one of the guy that this year won the Broyles award. <laughs> he was on his staff at mm-hmm. Appalachian state three years ago, and he did not bring him with him to Mizzou. It's interesting. It is. I hope he uh, right the wrong. Like sometimes you got to write the wrong. Yeah. Nothing says I'm sorry. Like a million dollar a year salary. <laughs> Hell, give him 1.5. They've do got it. a little extra now in the coffers. Yeah, do it. Do it. I don't care. Again, just because you're making a million dollars doesn't mean you're good. Derek Dooley was making a million dollars. He wasn't good. Okay? So I understand the argument. But still, if you really Steve want Wooks your- Steve made a million dollars. Oh, my God. He did make a million dollars. Oh. Yeah. The point is, we've got the money to at least get into a negotiation and say, wherever you are, cool. Come here. We got the money to invest in you. So there should not be someone who says, yeah, but I'm making more over here. That's not going to be part of the argument. SEC, baby. So that would that would be it for me. I know you you don't know the assistants or you claim to not know the assistants very well. What kind of offensive coordinator are you looking for or do you have a name that you would like to to see floated around in this in this offseason search? Man, you know I love the like fling it around all over the yard. For sure. Offenses. Like yes. <laughs> I it's it's why I loved Mike Leach so much is because he he had an offense. He stuck with it and he made it into something that regardless of the conference that he was in, that conference adopted what his offense was because they looked at it and they said it's the same thing that over the years Nick Saban has said right about Mm -hmm. the the mobile quarterbacks that he's gone up against in the past where he's like, man, I couldn't figure out how to stop them. So I decided to get one. Yeah. <laughs> That's what most defensive coaches do whenever they go up against the Mike Leach offense where they're like, Hey, I don't really know exactly what the best way is to stop this. And I think I can get better players to run it potentially at my school than he can at Texas tech or Wazoo or Mississippi state. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to go ahead and adopt it and get my version, my guy that can run that same offense. So, yes, somebody that can run a variation of that. There's a million of them now. I mean, there are 
dozens of different guys that are running it in different ways at different schools. Mm -hmm. But yeah, somebody that does that well. And I would just adopt that offense. I would say, well, we'll keep some of the elements of the Eli Drinkwitz offense. He does do certain things well. Mm -hmm. And then we're just going to incorporate a lot of this, especially for the quick game stuff. Yep. Because I think that it, it, it this offense could use a a fresh look at the quick game specifically. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I'm not going to rehash your point. I'm just going to, yes, endorse. And then once you get that guy, you got to figure out your quarterback situation. You can possibly get out of the portal. Sam Hartman, you want to come play for Mizzou? That'd be cool. Dude, can we, can we just do that? Like that would solve so many issues. It final point on this game. It was so hard to watch Sam Hartman on one side flinging it. And he's got really nice velocity. Like he's not a perfect quarterback, but he's pretty darn good. And then watch Brady cook who I like, especially on those out routes. Like God, the velocity is just so much different. The yeah. zip is just not there for Brady. And that is one thing that you definitely noticed tonight. Yeah. Yep. I don't know if he was hurt concussed or just sore or whatever but yeah there's it was very floaty uh tonight very floaty on the on the delivery so so i mean the portal's open for a while not everybody currently in the portal is your only option there's gonna be more guys that come in sam hartman has even said maybe i go the nfl route so we don't know but the point is is that if brady is hurt long term short term or if he's just not able to progress it would be nice to have someone who can challenge him or at least provide some more depth. You could argue that maybe you already had that guy on the roster in Sam Horn. You could argue that maybe that guy's coming in the summer in Jabari Johnson. I don't know. But once you have your OC or <clears throat> sorry, your quarterback's coach, you might be a possibly an OC. Then you got to start seeing what you can get from shopping your quarterback and then fill out everything else around him. And so again, these dominoes need to fall, fall kind of sequentially in the off season. And that's going to, Tell a lot about how Eli Drinkwitz is approaching the 2023 season and how much he is committed to either a refresh or a reinforcement. And we don't know what that is yet, but there's a lot of things that are going to happen in this offseason. It's going to be a very interesting offseason as Missouri returns a lot of promise, but has a lot to prove. Um, I don't know, BK. How do you how do you feel about the next nine months as we wait until Missouri takes on South Dakota September second? <laughs> yeah, we, we've got a lot to get to between now and then. Yeah, um, yeah. I I feel exhausted yeah. from the whole season. Yeah, you know, like it was such a wild ride of ups and downs throughout this season because of the way that so many of these games ended. Um, I mean the Auburn game is one that will, I will never forget for all the bad beats this year. That is the one that will stick out into my mind. There's typically always one for Mizzou where you look back and you're like, how the bleep did that happen? That for me, that's the one this year. Um, but looking forward, like, I don't know, man, you look into the portal. I do think there are more compelling quarterback options this year than there were last year. Last year, I felt like there were like three options. Yep. It was the Daniels and Jerry Bohannon. That was pretty much it. Yeah. This year, there's like 10 different guys, most of which are transferring up. Like it's not necessarily power five guys, but guys that are coming up from like group of five schools. And I, I do think there are some options there that could be super interesting for Mizzou. 
And it's just a matter of going out there. And I, I wrote this in my breakdown and my five takeaways. It's a matter of them going out there and not just finding a warm body, but finding a guy who is a clear and definitive upgrade. Mm-hmm. That's what they should be looking for this time around. So I'm hopeful that they can do it. And between that and them being able to get an OC that provides some optimism, I think those are the two real moves this offseason that that will move the, the meter for Mizzou fans. Uh, everything else, cool. Yeah. We've seen that this this team, this program, this staff has a, has done a really good job in the portal of being able to find upgrades that that are necessary. And they'll do that. They'll get the offensive line. They'll probably get some defensive players, especially on the defensive line. Like they'll they'll reinforce those spots. Quarterback, OC, those are the two that that really will change things tangibly for them. I agree. So this is the last show of 2022, both the calendar year and the football season. Um, yeah, it's it's always interesting going through these seasons, BK. And you have you have covered this team professionally and as a hobby longer than I have. But I don't know. You get into some seasons where even if the the beats are bad or the wins or losses are not super great, you got some interest, you know, some intrigue, you know, you got some interesting things happening. You have really boring, good seasons, really interesting, bad seasons. This one was an interesting one. And I think mm-hmm. I'll reinforce kind of like, you know, just some weird, weird losses, some close losses. You felt like they might be on the cusp of something. And then it, no, absolutely not. You're, you're an idiot for thinking that. And so, you know, not speaking for you, BK, but certainly speaking for me, <clears throat> covering this team in particular, whether it's writing or podcasting, there are easier weeks than others. And for from at least my standpoint, dear listener, I hope that that uh, <clears throat> the ability to do the job does not convey in the quality of, of how we do the job. Um, my, my goal is for us to always provide the best analysis, the best feedback that we can possibly give you all. And I hope that we have been able to do that for this year. And we're going to continue to try and do that going forward uh, in, in future years. But I will just say as, as we wrap up 2022 as a season, as a year, uh, we want to thank the listeners, all of you for, for subscribing, for downloading, for listening, for sharing. You know, I don't know if you tell your mom or your grandma, whatever about us, but like, Definitely tell your grandpa. Yeah, tell your grandpa, man. Like that—that that is just an untapped market. Grandpas who listen to podcasts, so get, get you know, steal their phone and download it for them. Um, but yeah, you know, we appreciate everything you do. You know, the interactions are great. I know we're not always going to see eye to eye with every single Mizzou fan out there, but the fact that you care about your team enough to have those debates, to have those conversations—that is a good thing. And to drive that interest for this team. That's what's going to ha- help us all have, you know, long-term success in the long run with this school and with this team. So we appreciate you. Uh, we hope that you stick with us as we go through. Even if we say something stupid that you don't agree with, that's fine. Tell us. We'd love to have that talk. Um, but thank you. And and uh, we will be back next year, next season, and we'll do it all over again. BK, final thoughts. Same thing as you. Huge thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, we literally can't do this without people that listen. Uh, true. Your downloads are what keep us uh, supported by Rock M Nation, by Vox Media. And so we sincerely appreciate all of you guys uh, for listening, for subscribing, for downloading, for telling some friends, telling your family about us. Um, it's 
it's really like I, I went to Mizzou. I love this team. I follow Mizzou and I would do it whether I was writing or podcasting for mm-hmm. Rock Nation or not. But being able to do this as well on the side um, is is a is a real pleasure. I, I do this because I enjoy it. Um, and so for for all of you guys that allow that to happen, huge thanks from me to you. Huge thanks to Rock Nation to you. Mm-hmm. And we wish you a very, very happy holidays. Absolutely. And thank you to our editor and producer, Levi. Thank you for listening to my hacking cough and random dogs barking in the background. You are, you are a saint. As all are all of you. So that's the show for today. That's the show for this year. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Z-O-U.